Welcome back into another conversation with Shawnee County Health Officer Dr. Gianfranco Pizzino. My name is Blaze Mesa, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we'll be talking with between me and Dr. Pizzino about all things COVID-related, although we're going to focus a little bit on schools, which is why I have Topeka Capital Journal education reporter Rafael Garcia with me. Rafael, I'll let you get it started. Yeah, for sure. So we're now a quarter into the school year for most of the local districts. What have we seen? Um, what have we learned about the COVID-19 precautions? What has worked? What maybe hasn't worked? Uh, well, let me start from what has worked, which is a lot. Uh, I think most of uh, the plans that were developed uh, ahead of uh, the start of the new school year uh, have been implemented and have produced good results. So we have seen uh, um, schools taking very cautious approach to reopening. Most schools started with a, either just an online or a hybrid system, and then they're slowly moving into uh, you know, five-day-a-week classroom time. Uh, um, everybody essentially was trying to figure out if what they were doing was safe enough that they could do something maybe even more than what they were doing. Um, as a result, we haven't really had any major crisis in schools at this point. Um, and it's always a bad idea for an epidemiologist to do to say that because the moment I say that, we're going to have a crisis. But uh, seriously speaking, um, people, uh, school administrators, teachers, students, families have really worked very hard to make schools safe. And uh, uh, the result is that uh, we have had cases diagnosed in a school setting both among children and uh, staff and teachers, but none of those cases was the result of an infection acquired in the classroom. They were all acquired outside, either as a result of being close contacts of someone else at home who had been diagnosed or just in the community. So in other words, we have not documented any case of transmission within a classroom setting. Um, nevertheless, there is a you know a number of people who have been placed on quarantine just because again they, they were in contact in the school, um, and uh, as of last week we had actually more than forty people between staff and uh, students who had to be placed on quarantine just because of that kind of exposure. Um, we understand that that's pretty disruptive for families and for the schools. And so based on the fact that uh, uh, when people use masks and they try to keep a good distance, we are finding out that it's uh, 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 relatively safe, even if, if uh, uh, um, there may be then a case that's diagnosed. Based on the fact, uh, we will start rethinking our recommendation for quarantine in particular as a result of exposures in the classrooms and see if there are some situations that we can consider as such a low risk of exposure that maybe that 14 days of quarantine can be shortened or even eliminated altogether. So it's not going to be a blanket policy for everybody, but, but we will see what we can do to relax some of those criteria within the classroom setting. Right. And Oh, I forgot to mention this off the top, but for our Facebook Live audience, if you have any questions for Dr. Pizzino, you can comment them below, and we'll get to that towards the end of our interview. But Raphael, continue. Yeah. Um, when might be when might we be seeing some of these 
changes or these adaptations to quarantine? Uh, the, there is no timeline. We are just now considering that. And uh, so whenever we, we have a chance to uh, discuss with the school administrators and superintendents and, you know, we will proceed. But, you know, the sooner we can do that, the better. Right. Thinking back to August, right before the um, school semester started, it was obviously a lot of uncertainty about how these precautions would play out. But thinking back to then, how did the expectations of what might have happened throughout the semester so far, how have those compared to what's actually happened? I think there was um, apprehension at the beginning. Um, but I, uh, perhaps even more than that, there was the apprehension was the results of uh, the result of the fact that nobody really knew what to expect. Uh, if you think about it, we haven't really gone through a period of weeks with schools in session during the coronavirus pandemic because schools were shut down so early during the pandemic, and then there was a summer, of course that we didn't have a chance to experiment and see well, what's going to happen when you are in the middle of a pandemic and you send kids back to school. Um, I want to credit the hard work that was done by school administrators, teachers, and the Shawnee County Health Department in getting ready and prepared for the school reopening. And so as a result, there were very good plans in place. The plans were implemented, and uh, uh, people watched that implementation very carefully to see if uh, uh, we will see a spike in number of cases. And again, we haven't seen that. We have seen an increase in the number of cases in the community, but we don't think that's the result of transmission in the school for several reasons, one of which is the age distribution of those cases. We have very, very few cases among young school-age children, and uh, for almost all of them, we can trace back the infection to a household contact who had already been diagnosed. So um, people really didn't know what to expect, I would say. There was apprehension. And what people saw was that, um, especially for younger grades, uh, when the appropriate precautions are taken, and especially masks are worn throughout the entire school day, the risk of transmission is perhaps less than people were afraid it could be. Mm -hmm. Now, just to reiterate, because I know people might be looking at these low numbers of case transmissions from school-based spread, um, and they might come to the conclusion that the precautions weren't necessary in the first place. To be clear, you're saying these, the low amount of spread is because of the precautions. Right. Right, exactly. If we had been wearing masks in schools, I have no doubt that we would see um, a different picture. Now, we need to be clear. The reason that wearing masks is so effective in schools is because the baseline of transmission from young children is already lower than for the general population. So in other words, there are studies and research published that shows that young children tend to become infected less often. When they become infected, they usually don't get sick or they get sick less often. It's not a rule. Some may, some may even end up in a hospital, but just I'm talking generally speaking. And uh, if they become infectious, they are not as infectious as adults may be. Um, so when you put all of that together, then if you add a mask, on top of the relatively low baseline, or lower than average baseline risk, mm -hmm. 
then the risk decreases even more. Without a mask, I don't think it would be in a situation where we would feel comfortable saying, well, you know, the risk is so low with young children. When I say young children, I'm referring to, uh, you know, school age, you know, elementary, pre-K, elementary, and uh, maybe middle age. Uh, if it wasn't for the mask, I don't think we would feel comfortable in saying, when it comes to young children, you know, we can relax some of uh, the quarantine uh, requirements. But with the use of the mask consistently and appropriately, uh, we may be able to do that on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. We've talked about um, possible changes to the quarantine requirements and just now um, about how masks help prevent that. What are some other measures schools might be able to take to prevent even have to even having to think about quarantines? You know, it, it boils down to uh, things that are really so simple if you think about it. If you, if you really want to go to the, to the heart of those measures, and that's true with kids and it's true for adults. Number one, avoid large gatherings and crowds. Number two, keep six feet of distance or more between people. Number three, wear a mask at all times when you are in contact with other people. And number four, use good hygiene. Then from the public health point of view, what we can add on top of that is good and prompt testing, case investigation, and contact tracing. But at the individual level, it's really those four items. Avoid large, large crowds, distance, wear a mask, and good hand hygiene. And so that's what schools have been doing. I think they have been doing them more thoroughly than what people do on average in their homes or what we in general do maybe in our workplace, just because they knew that the risk and what was at stake there was so high. I mean, you put... 15, 20, 25, 30 people in the same classroom all day, it could be a recipe for a lot of transmissions. So they have been extremely cautious in implementing all those four measures. But the measures were the same that we we have been telling people work for uh, preventing the transmission in any kind of settings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, finally, on the education line of um, questions, um, I know that the health department has been having regular meetings with the school districts. What are the school districts saying so far? Well, first of all, they're talking to each other, and that's great. So those meetings are an opportunity um, to uh, just exchange notes and say, hey, what's happening in your school district? Oh, we had, you know, a whole team who had to be placed on quarantine because, uh, you know, a player was positive. Oh, yeah, we had two players positive, and this is what we did. So... They kind of exchange of information, again, because we don't have a lot of information we can base upon for our decisions because it's the first time the schools are in session during the pandemic. Um, second, they want to hear from us if what they are doing from the public health point of view is sound practice. We have made very clear to our school since the very beginning of our conversations, you are in charge of establishing your own educational models. We are not going to tell you how to run your school. You are the educators. We are not. So you're going to do hybrid model. You're going to do classroom model. That, that's your decision. What we are going to give you is some information that you can use in making that decision from the public health point of view, not from educational point of view. And so that information we have been put together, and uh, um, you may be aware that we have a scorecard now that's updated every week and, and, and describes uh, with numeric indices the level of transmission in the community. That's one of the things that schools really look at 
very carefully before they decide uh, uh, what kind of educational model they pursue. So they're really interested in that kind of input from us. So, uh, you know, in fact, um, my colleagues and I have been asked to participate as guests in uh, several school board meetings where, where school board members had questions and, you know, they were facing the difficult decision. You know, parents want to go back to five-day-a-week school uh, classroom time and, you know, what do you think from the public health point of view? And so we gave them our assessment, but ultimately... We say, good luck. You have to make that decision. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Pazino. Yeah, so I know with Thanksgiving coming up, some people may be trying to make some Thanksgiving Day plans. Do you have any particular recommendations or things people should avoid? Like if a relative is flying in from out of state, do they have to quarantine? Or what's that going to look like for people on Thanksgiving? So the basic premises are the same for at least a minute ago. Avoid the large crowds or large gatherings. Using masks distance six feet or more, and good hand hygiene. Those four main elements still hold true. Um, it's a tough issue because we all love those holiday events, don't we? I mean, at least the vast majority of people. I do. Um, I like to get together with family. I like nice meals. And uh, we are all so ready for that. At the same time, we don't want those events to turn into, frankly, tragedies in some cases, and, and that has happened before. Family reunions, weddings, and funerals are very high-risk events when it comes to the transmission of the virus. And when I say high-risk, I mean that during our investigations of positive cases, they often come up as potential settings where an infection, one or more infections, occur. And it's probably easy to understand why. People get together, they mingle, they, they haven't seen for a while, they want to hug each other. It's hard to keep six feet of distance uh, with your parents that you haven't seen for months, you know, or your grandchildren or, or, or uh, things of that nature. So um, our intention is definitely not to cancel Thanksgiving or to cancel Christmas. Um, our intention is to make it as safe as possible. In practical terms, um, I'm not going to get into, you know, is, is it safer to drive, is it safer to fly? Generally speaking, it's probably safer to drive, but you need to factor in other things. If you have to drive five days to reach a destination because you're going so far and then you have to spend five days on the road going to hotels and restaurants that, that, that you don't know, so you don't know how much you can trust, does that outweigh the risk of flying or not? That's a personal risk assessment everybody will have to make. There is some evidence that's surfacing that, that seems to show that uh, flying actually may not be as, 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 as risky as people thought at the beginning. So that's a difficult assessment, so I'm going to put that aside. But um, I would recommend smaller gatherings. Um, how small is small? Well, the, 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 the county resolution, in effect, in Shawnee County has a limit of 25 people for indoor gatherings. But I would say when it comes to family reunions, that's prob that probably going to last several hours where, uh, you know, social distance may or may not be followed at all times, uh, I think that's a little high. Uh, I would feel more comfortable in saying something around 10 people. Uh, so really immediate families, you know, uh, I have three children, I hope, uh, three grown children, I hope I'll be able to bring them all 
home for a nice meal with their, their spouses and uh, we have one granddaughter and so you know our number would probably go around seven, eight, nine people. Uh, that's a good number. Anything above 10, uh, you may want to think how you're going to arrange physically your guests and, 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 and your people in a way that can be safe. Try to keep those six feet of distance as much as you can. As weird as it may feel, wear the masks. I know mm-hmm. you are in your own home or in your, your your family's homes, but these are not people who are part of your own household. So you need to treat them as strangers from the point of view of the risk of transmission. So wear the mask, except, of course, while you're eating and drinking, and very good hand hygiene. Um, for example, one thing that I do when I get together with, with my family, we try to avoid... Uh, um, the family plates that go around the table. We try to um, have just one person that plates the food for everybody, and it's always the same person. So there isn't that you know sharing of utensils and pots and pans and things like that. So these are you know relatively small adjustments that I think we can all make without too much trouble, but they can really make our holiday safer, our holiday season safer, and, and, and hopefully increase our enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, on the topic of holidays, I kind of want to go towards Halloween because I realized I completely skipped right over it. I know Shawnee County released some guidelines about how to trick-or-treat. Uh, could you just briefly go into those for someone who might not have uh, who've heard them? Well, yeah, the, the guidelines have a lot of details, and I, I, I recommend that people refer to those for those details. But in general, again, anything that... Uh, uh, brings together big crowds is not something that we recommend at this point, given the level of community transmission that we are having in uh, Shawnee County, which is pretty high. It's pretty considerable. Last week, we had the third consecutive week of increase in the number of cases that, that, that are recorded every week. And and would be uh, actually, that was for the scorecard that we issued last week. So it was two weeks ago. We had another increase for last week that we will report later this week. So four consecutive weeks of increase. So for that level of transmission, we really need to be careful when we bring together large crowds. So um, I would say the safest things are things that keep people away from each other. So definitely, you know, dress up in costumes and uh, uh, people recommend parades in in, in trucks or cars where you can uh, drive through a neighborhood and uh, have people... uh, you know, admiring and commenting on your attires. Um, trick-or-treating, of course, is, is, is a big thing at, uh, um, at Halloween. Uh, I, I, I think there are safer ways to do trick-or-treating and there are less safe ways to do it. Uh, I used to live in a neighborhood here in town uh, which was very famous for big, large gatherings of uh, children and their families who were coming from... Uh, sometime even out of town because it was a beautiful neighborhood, old houses, all dressed up for Halloween and uh, spooky, and and so it was a really enjoyable time. But in some cases, we have 1,500, 2,000 people coming through the neighborhood in a couple of hours. That's the kind of situation I would prefer not to see. I I think that's really, uh, Mm -hmm. that's not a good idea. That's, you know, even though you may think, I'm not coming in contact with anybody for 10 minutes within six feet. No, you're not. But you're coming in contact with hundreds of people, and some of them may be sick, and some of them may be coughing, and at that point, especially if social distance is not kept and mask usage is not uh, very thorough, it may take just a few seconds to be infected with the virus. So 
that's one extreme. On the other hand, you know, the trick-or-treat that happens with, you know, one child at a time, uh, one house at a time, uh, uh, if possible, you may want to keep the, 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 the candy basket in a position so that you, you don't need to come and hand the candy to whoever comes to your uh, house. Uh, uh, I've seen those chutes that people have built. You've probably seen them. I think they are, uh, they are adorable, frankly. <laughs> I, I, it never occurred to me that something like that could be put together. I think it's a very ingenious idea, and uh, they add fun and safety at the same time, so you can't ask for more. Um, so these are some of the tips, but again, you, you, you can find many more details on the Shawnee County Health Department website mm-hmm. with many more examples. Yeah. So it sounds like holidays are not canceled, just you have to rethink the way you we do. We are not going to cancel our holidays. No, we are not. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, I've been seeing a lot of people up at polling places in, in a bit longer lines. And I know there's some campaign rallies now that the election is getting closer. If someone is out to a polling place and there are long lines or they are out at a campaign event, how should they try and stay safe in those instances? Social distance, mask, hand hygiene, and, you know, avoid large gathering. You're saying people are really large gathering. But if you're keeping a social distance, people are in the line. To me, that's a lower risk situation than people in a crowd. Because I consider, when I think of a crowd, I consider a crowd, like, you know, people that are moving around, mingling with each other, kind of shoulder to shoulder, moving from one position to another. That's a kind of crowding that I really don't like to see because I can almost visualize the virus moving its way through all those people. It's different from having even hundreds of people on an uh, discipline and order line, six feet apart from each other, moving slowly forward, you know, whenever that turn is, and wearing masks. That kind of situation, honestly, I, I would feel comfortable in doing anything like that. I hope we won't come to that. Typically, voting in uh, Shawnee County is usually very smooth, so uh, I hope that nobody will have to be in line uh, for hours and having you know, hundreds of people ahead of them. But if you do find yourself in a situation, just, you know, keep an order line, uh, Six feet apart, wearing mask, and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I know uh, Doug Rosencutter of Doug's Service Repair had his business temporarily closed by Shawnee County for some COVID-19 related reasons. I know the health department's looking into that, and you're not going to comment too much on that. But when I was speaking with Doug, he had mentioned a lot of businesses had called him asking him what should they do and how should they maneuver COVID in the workplace. So if a business out there has a positive staff member, what should they do and how should they go about it? Well, again, as you said, I can't comment specifically on that example because of uh, several reasons. But uh, uh, generally speaking, we work with businesses all the time. And the best advice we have, uh, um, assuming that we don't start the contact, which in many cases we do, but sometimes the information, you know, we get information after the business gets information, just call us. Just call us. It's very simple. Just call the Shawnee County uh, COVID hotline and uh, ask us what to do and we will go through a personalized assessment with you see who might have been exposed who should be placed on quarantine what kind of other precautions uh, you need to take as a business owner and we will do that in the most friendly way that is possible we always do that uh, um, the only times that we, we need to take actions that are a bit more forceful is when uh, that approach doesn't work. But we always like to work with, with, with business owners in a way that's uh, not disruptive or as little disruptive as possible for their own business. That works 99.9% of the time. Mm. Unfortunately, in a few cases, that doesn't work. 
We do have some questions coming in via the Facebook Live. So the first one we have here is, how is Shawnee County doing in comparison to other Kansas counties? Um, it depends whether you are a half-full, a half-empty glass <laughs> type of person. Um, Kansas in general is doing pretty bad right now, and you probably have, you know, you read the same news reports that I do, you know that we are in the top uh, 10 or sometimes 8 states in terms of uh, uh, increasing rates of transmission. It's a very frustrating situation. Um, the places that are experiencing highest rates of transmission are now the rural counties that were same I spared the first wave of uh, cases back in March and April and then again in uh, around July and August. Um, so that's where the situation is, is, is pretty bad right now in terms of uh, the rate of increase in number of cases. Um, the Kansas City area is also experiencing, uh, is, is, is under a lot of stress. It experiences a lot of cases and also the hospitals are uh, more overwhelmed than our hospitals. Shawnee County is a kind of the middle of the way. Um, as I said a moment ago, we had the fourth consecutive week of increase in number of cases, and that's something that we, we certainly don't like to see. We still have uh, several cases taking place in nursing homes. Um, our positivity rate is relatively low, but it's going up. So we are not heading in the right direction. But our situation hasn't been so far as, as, a, uh, as extreme and, and as dangerous as the situation that we have in other counties in the state. Mm -hmm. I've been hearing for a while that a second wave, or technically the first wave, however you look at the United States and their COVID projections, but, you know, it's going to come, and I've been hearing there have been a lot of projections, and it kind of seemed almost inevitable that we would see a spike of cases in the fall. Is it something that is inevitable, or is mask wearing, social distancing, can we prevent all this? Or Nothing is inevitable when it comes to COVID. Nothing is really inevitable. Four things. Avoid crowds, keep social distance, use a mask, and good hygiene. If everybody was practicing these four things, we, do keep, we, we could keep the virus under check in such a way that, you know, we probably wouldn't need any kind of other restrictions, precautions, and... Uh, uh, and most of our lives could be normal. So nothing is, is, is avoidable. Um, in practice, that's not happening. And even though I'm very pleased with what I see when I go around, I see a very high usage of masks, it's still not universal. And we know that there are pockets in particular of uh, you know, certain places, certain areas, certain groups of uh, uh, people who, for whatever reason, they don't believe that masks help. Uh, they're, they're, there are those pockets where mask usage is much lower. And those are enough to trigger hotspots that they can propagate to the rest of the community. Um, are we going to have another wave? Well, uh, I think you were alluding to that. The first wave never ended in, in Kansas or, or in the United States, for that matter. So we are still in the middle of the first wave. Uh, but are we going to see an increase in number of cases? We are already seeing an increase in number of cases. Uh, how much more of an increase we're going to see, it's hard to tell, but it will depend in large part by people's individual behaviors around those four items that I've listed, and uh, um, and also how the flu season is going to pan out. Uh, we hope that with all the social distancing that people are, are practicing, the flu season may not be as bad as, as it might have been, but it's extremely important that everybody gets that flu shot as soon as they can, 
so they can be protected. The last thing you want to happen to yourself and to your dear ones is to be infected at the same time with the COVID virus and the flu virus. You just, you don't want one of them at a time, let alone both of them at the same time. Um, so depending on the rate of immunization and depending on the practice of social distancing, we may have a flu season is going to be heavier or, or less heavy. And that in turn will also drive, uh, you know, how much more COVID we are going to see. This looks like it's about our last question here. But have any penalties been levied against people for not wearing masks in Shawnee County? So the um, issue of uh, penalties is something that doesn't uh, uh, pertain to the health department. The health department is only the business of uh, issuing tickets or penalties. That's up to the county attorney and the district attorney. And uh, I'm not aware of any penalties that have been uh, um, imposed in, in Shawnee County at this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Dr. Pazino, thanks for coming in. We'll speak with you again in two weeks now. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see you then.